CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Joe's Weather World. This is a podcast dedicated to all things weather and other things uh, here in Kansas City, as well as around the country, even to a certain extent around the world. And that's kind of sort of what we're going to be talking about uh, locally, at least for us, in this particular podcast. Now, um, I want you to kind of expand your minds, get ready to expand your minds as we're going to talk about uh, the climate a little bit. Uh, not going to really get into the science of that yet. That's a podcast that I'm actually thinking about doing uh, down the road. But uh, how here in Kansas City we react or we may react to a changing climate that's happening uh, pretty much right before our eyes. And I wanted to bring in a couple of people to talk about this. And it's a group that I didn't even know existed up until about like a month and a half ago where I saw a tweet uh, from Climate Action KC. And I was like, Climate Action KC? Uh, let me find out more about them. And I thought it would be perfect uh, to bring them in and talk about what they're trying to do, what their hopes are uh, down the road, and how we're going to get to what they want to do down the road uh, here in Kansas City. So uh, without further ado, let me introduce a couple of people. This is, I'm just going to call him Mayor Mike. Is that fair? Works for me. Okay, Mayor Mike from Roland Park. Mike, what's your last name? Uh, Mike Kelly. Thanks. Mike Kelly. Thanks for having us, Joe. Uh, and this is Lindsay. Lindsay is a city council person for Shawnee, right? You got it. Okay, uh, Lindsay and Mike are here um, to talk about Climate Action KC, and I thought, um, let's start with Lindsay first of all. Let's start out with the very basics, okay? What is Climate Action KC? Climate Action KC is a coalition of over 100 elected officials and then leaders from various nonprofits and businesses across the KC metro region. Uh, we have three main goals, the first being a climate action plan for our 10-county region. The second is pu public policy at all levels of government from federal on down to local, and then also putting on a climate action summit, um, which we did about a month ago and had 750 participants wow. at Johnson County Community College for that event. So those are our top three goals for the coalition. And let's go, uh, perhaps, Mike, to what that uh, conference seminar coalition was about a month ago. Uh, were you surprised by the number of people? Because you popped out a big number there right off the bat. 700 people, that's a lot of people, right? Uh, well, sure it is. Uh, but frankly, I'm not surprised. I think a lot of people are in tune to the realities that we are facing, uh, no matter what you believe about how it's happening or why it's happening, we are seeing uh, changes to the climate in the metropolitan area. Uh, one of the things that got us started and really motivated to uh, prepare 
was something called the Climate Disruption Index. And it was 27 different climate scientists throughout the country that got together and ranked the metropolitan statistical areas based on how much they were expected to feel the impacts of a changing climate. And when you hear the phrase climate change, people think about what's going on on the coasts and rising sea levels, and, you know, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. There are challenges that states like Florida and California are, are facing. But lo and behold, in that study, they ranked Kansas City at number five, the fifth really? uh, metropolitan area most likely to feel the effects of the changing climate. And that was very eye-opening for a lot of us. And when we delve into it, Kansas City is expected to see an extra 20 heating degree days than it uh, had in the past decade. We're expected to see increased periods of uh, extreme weather like drought. Uh, as well as uh, extreme precipitation events that are going to affect the rivers. I think we all remember in March what happened in the Missouri River or to the Caw, and, uh, you know, that's going to impact people's lives. And disproportionately, it's going to affect those people uh, that are already most vulnerable in our communities. So uh, really, I wasn't so... Um, surprised by the number of people that came out there, uh, because I think people understand that this is a challenge that, that we're going to face. But um, the more we've delved into it, the more uh, hope and positivity that I've found uh, over the opportunities that exist by becoming more climate resilient here in the metro area. So we know this is happening. We know this is a expanding problem. It's a problem that you know, it's going to be for our generation, our kids' generation, their kids' generation, blah, 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 blah. So where do you start? <laughs> um, I mean, it's not as if uh, locally we could have a huge effect on what's going on around the world necessarily. If, if we were the most perfect of citizens, et cetera, et cetera, we could help, absolutely. Uh, so where do you start when you look at our entire region so a million plus people in western Missouri, eastern Kansas, how do you start putting together thoughts about how to change, mitigate, whatever? Well, Mike and I started with education. We connected, we reached out to one another, we knew that we cared about this issue, and we what we found out in talking with other elected officials was not that they didn't care, they just didn't know what tools were at their fingertips to solve the problem. Like you said, it, it feels so huge and it right. can be paralyzing. Um, so we started out with a workshop last December in which we had 70 elected officials, a total of 130 folks come to learn about the resource drawdown, which outlines what we can do to reduce those emissions and improve our resiliency. So from there, that's really where the movement of Climate Action KC grew started with educating elected officials and other people that are in positions where they can make change about those ways that we can reduce emissions, but then also have co-benefits in our communities. Um, and I actually think that we can make a difference across the world right here. I mean, with us um, doing this climate action plan for our region, that is going to be implemented um, in other regions throughout the United States and can really serve as a model. Do you think that... Um Obviously, we have our issues here in the Midwest. How do you think the issues vary depending on either city size? Obviously, New York City, a city much larger than us, uh, may have other concerns, more sea level rise associated and other things. Uh, but how does what you guys are trying to develop here carry to other places? Well, 
what, what Lindsay mentioned, uh, this climate action plan that we started, we, we started by looking at our own individual municipalities and realizing we have opportunities to either reduce emissions levels or to add green infrastructure or to weatherize our buildings, uh, all these good things that we could do, uh, all of which for their own sake, that have their own benefits as well as potentially lowering emissions levels and doing our part for the greater global uh, scheme, as, uh, as you mentioned. But at the same time, we realize, you know, I live in Roland Park. I work in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm probably in Prairie Village or Overland Park or Leewood on any given day. And so if we wanted to really affect those big things, the real peas and carrots of it, uh, we realized we needed to go about this together because Kansas City is such a, uh, you know, a metro area that uh, is reliant upon each other. Those bigger transboundary infrastructure things like transportation or energy or food all take place at the metropolitan level. And if we were ever to try to do this individually at the municipality level, one of the things I didn't realize until I was in local government, there's over 100 municipalities in the Kansas City metro area. So if with every a big old state line going right with through, absolutely. yeah. So all kinds of different jurisdictions, all kinds of different planning commissions, all kinds of different bureaucracies that would possibly prevent uh, everybody from doing climate planning on their own. So we thought it would make sense to go about this together, and one of the organizations that provided a toolkit to municipalities across the country is called the Global Compact of Mayors. It was started by Mayor Bloomberg in New York, and what that organization did was provided uh, software as well as technical assistance for a municipality to, to track what their emissions levels are, to do a vulnerability and risk assessment, see where they are most vulnerable to a changing climate, and then help them set a goal and a plan of how to reach that goal, whether that be reducing emissions levels or building resilience uh, capabilities. Mm -hmm. And so we, when we approached the Global co uh, Compact of Mayors, we asked, why can't we do this as a region? Because Kansas City is a real region. And uh, like most Kansas City natives, I'm always going to sing the, the city's praises. You know, we are uh, a real humble bunch, but we really are passionate about each other and about our, our city. We wear chiefs or right. royals gear across our chest. We all have our, our opinions upon barbecue, but, um, you know, they all involve some sweet molasses sauce. Uh, <laughs> so Kansas City made sense to be this regional approach to climate action planning, and we thought we could do more by, by going together. So we approached the Global Compact about this idea, and lo and behold, they liked it, and we're doing a pilot project. So it would be all the metropolitan statistical areas, so all 10 counties, all 100-plus municipalities uh, doing an emissions inventory, coming up with that risk and vulnerability assessment, and then coming up with a plan to reduce emissions level and increase resilience capacity uh, for the metro area. At the same time, they thought it would make sense to have some contemporaries go with us so that we could share ideas. And those contemporaries are Washington, D.C., Chicago, and Denver. Uh, 
and then create that model of metropolitan resilience so it can be taken to places like Wichita or Topeka or Oklahoma City or some other um, metropolitan areas that have the challenges of a, a state line going down in between, like, like Portland or like Cincinnati. So uh, we're really excited about this opportunity and um, really have been uh, getting some great buy-in from local municipalities, but like Lindsay said, also from leaders outside of government. We wanted to make sure that we were a big tent organization, that we included the utilities in this conversation, that we included the business community. The Greater Kansas City Chamber of Commerce uh, has been a great partner and continues to be a, a leader uh, in making our community resilient. So we are excited about what Kansas City can build here uh, for the nation. So with all that said, and you said it well, what would be, what is step one? All right, so you're, you're, you're formulating a plan essentially, right? Mm -hmm. Right now. Where in your mind do you think step one is? Mm -hmm. Mike has mentioned emissions mm -hmm. now several times that I've picked up on. Do you think that is step one? I think step one is an, is an inventory so you can understand where you are. Because if you don't understand where you are, it's hard to know where you're going and be able to set goals um, that, that mm -hmm. we can reach together as a region. So when you take in this inventory and you figure it out, um, then how do you go about trying to act on whatever goal, goal number one, goal number sure. two, goal number three, goal number four? How do you go about acting towards that, because that is going to require probably some changes in whether it be lifestyle mm -hmm. or, or whatever. That's the tough. Now, you, you, to make it more granular to the citizens mm -hmm. of the area, how do you try to go about changing philosophies and lifestyles and stuff like that. That, to me, is the tough part. Well, right? I, I think a key component has been communicating the, the co-benefits. So, for example, in my city of Shawnee, um, we did some facility conservation improvement um, projects in which we improved our efficiencies, and then we're saving money for the city. So that's really an easy sell. Um, the same thing can be said for strategically planted trees, which reduce the temperature near buildings, and then therefore you don't have to use as much electricity. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is just communicating to those out making the decisions that these actions we can take, um, they're going to really save us money. Right. That either saves money or really in the big scheme of things, we're not forcing or, or your, <clears throat> the thought process is not trying to change people's lifestyles or anything. Sure. We're not you know, saying you can't drive to the grocery store. Absolutely. What we're just trying to do or what you're trying to do is just say, hey, you know what? If we planted some more trees, if we did some of the things that you just mentioned, very simple things mm -hmm. probably in the big scheme of things, uh, hey, we could at least start the process. It can have a big impact. And right. one thing that I also think is, has been really helpful is we're working really closely with Mid-America Regional Council. So in doing this climate action plan work, we're really, um, I guess, partnering together to help enhance the work that they're doing in transportation and air quality, community health. Um, so it's having a lot of you know, benefits regionally for things that they were working on. So it, that they have been a really great partner in this work. So... Now about the, not necessarily the other side, but what sort of are, are you getting pushback? 
Well, I think a lot of people um, are afraid of when they hear the changes in policy, that it's going to affect their day-to-day lifestyle, that they're going to be forced to do something that they're not comfortable with. And if you don't understand something and somebody's telling you to do it, it can be scary. I mean, right. you know, we're Americans. We, we <laughs> appreciate mm-hmm. our, our freedom and our liberties. And, uh, and that's important that we respect those. At the same time, though, there's an opportunity for education and for um, collective impact and, and change for its own sake for, for the, the betterment of society. And I think when people understand that looking at buildings uh, as a whole and looking at the 20-year cost of a building when you're, when you're building a new building and trying to get it either Energy Star or LEED certified, instead of trying to just build with the cheapest materials that you can and what's the, the lowest cost of construction, it, changing your vision to look at the 20-year cost of that building and realize it's going to be cheaper in the long run for you because you're not going to use as much energy. It's going to have a, a, a smaller impact on the planet based on the materials that you use. You're going to utilize those materials um, in a more respectful fashion, so you're not going to have more go to the landfill. And at the end of the day, that's going to be better for the taxpayer. It's going to be better for you in the built environment that you go to work in. It's going to be better for you when the landfill doesn't continue to, to fill with construction materials. Uh, when we look at the solid waste management plan uh, that they just uh, looked at in Johnson County, they look at it every five years. The largest delta in the increase there was construction materials because we're, you know, we're building out in building Kansas like City, crazy. right? Mm-hmm. So when you can you know, take a, a moment to be intentional and look at things and, and educate people, like Lindsay said, about good opportunities that exist there. Americans and, and Kansas Cityans are going are gonna to make the right choices because it makes sense for them and for their families. Do you think businesses, uh, because what I've noticed, at least from a, uh, I've got a lot of houses going up down by where I live, and I've noticed uh, over the last couple of years, especially, uh, it seems like I'm I'm seeing more advertising for um, the way they are building said houses with the environment mm-hmm. in mind. So when we talk about you know perhaps these new buildings going up, whatever the case may be, to me at least, it would seem like it would be a selling point compared to perhaps building B. But if building A has got you know this type of setup, uh, especially when you look at down the road 20 years in terms of cost, to me, it seems like it would be a selling point compared to building B. Absolutely. I think cities are excited about um, development plans that encourage more of that live, work, play um, lifestyle in which you can walk to the grocery store, you can walk to dinner, you know, that sort of transit-oriented development. I think it's good for cities. Um, I think it's good for the vibrancy of neighborhoods. Um, so I really think people see it as a positive. And, you know, when you look at uh, large corporations, they are very interested um, in going clean, you know, going with mm-hmm. clean energy as are smaller companies. I just think it's the direction that we're heading. And those businesses see the bottom line and they, they see what's out there in 20 years and they want to be a part of it on the front end. So where do you think Climate Action KC is here over the next few years? Where, where, uh, where do you think we are maybe you know, five years from now, ten years from now, in terms of what your goals are? 
Well, the goals are going to be to continue to make Kansas City a, a resilient metropolitan area, a vibrant area, and to try to implement various solutions, whether they be in buildings or transportation or in food use or um, whatever the category may be that help to draw down emissions levels, because that's important not only for doing our part for the grander global scheme, but from a public health perspective, mm-hmm. uh, but also promoting those things that um, make us resilient to uh, precipitation or to drought or to uh, urban heat islands. That, and that's a very that's real a big problem issue. in, yeah. in mm-hmm. various neighborhoods in the Kansas City metro. Um, but also that promote those co-benefits like um, economic viability I think in the next five to ten years, especially when transmission capacity increases uh, on the the Grain Belt line from western Kansas all the way out to Indiana, Kansas and Missouri, going right through Kansas City, has a real opportunity to be an energy exporter based on wind power and and solar power. It's really a a great opportunity not only for landowners that, that own land that might put up wind turbines, but also from a workforce development perspective. There's going to be a lot of great clean energy jobs that are available in this country, and God, I hope they come to Kansas right. and to Missouri. Mm-hmm. I saw, um, I want to say it was maybe two months ago, I think there was an article in the New York Times, uh, a fascinating, for lack of a better phrase, study about um, how temperatures change within the inner city mm-hmm. during the summertime days um, and how this seems to mm-hmm. disproportionately affect lower income people Absolutely. because of basically A, where they they live, B, a lack mm-hmm. of greenery and parks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, I think they their study showed, I think it was a, a city, maybe Richmond or, or uh Roanoke, Virginia, or something like that, mm-hmm. and it, or Baltimore, it was dramatic mm-hmm. how the inner city in particular during the summertime months especially mm-hmm. has this big, big problem compared to even five blocks away. Absolutely. It's amazing the changes that can occur. Well, it, it not only the, the changes that can occur in temperature, but you think how that affects your entire life, not only your health, but your energy costs and how much that's affecting people uh, in terms of their the rates for their utilities and how much that's affecting their ability to to go to work and to be comfortable and there's no doubt that based on the zip code you live in your life expectancy is is different and so finding those opportunities to increase the green infrastructure in those neighborhoods really can change the average temperature. Lindsay and I were at a conference out in Washington, D.C. not too long ago, uh, and uh, NOAA and NASA are doing some amazing data analytical work about just this problem. And like you said in the New York Times, it is clear that it is the neighborhoods um, in the inner city that are the most vulnerable to this problem. And without intervention from the surrounding metropolitan area, uh, are the least likely to have that change anytime soon. So mm-hmm. this is a, a whole metro area problem. And this is a situation, too, as well, that as our city uh, continues to build out, mm-hmm. um, as we grow west and north and east and south, um, you know, it, it, it's a situation where the, the heat island effect mm-hmm. will just continue to broaden mm-hmm. uh, as we're whacking away right. uh, the farm fields, the trees, et cetera. And I'm seeing that a lot right now down by where I live. Um, 
that if anything, cities are more than likely going to get even warmer, Mm -hmm. uh, especially during summertime months. Well, and I think that's why it's so critical to make sure that cities have, you know, these specific actions that they can take and how they can implement more green infrastructure and planning for their city in a way that alleviates that. Um, Another, you know, interesting piece of information that Mike and I learned in D.C. was the the fact that cities' bond ratings are soon going to be linked um, to their climate resiliency planning. And and how well they are preparing for the future. So I think we're going to start seeing the impact on the financials of cities and businesses, which is just another reason to make sure that we're being proactive in how we plan for our cities and how we implement these climate resilience strategies now. Does it, uh, I assume it would make an easier sell to folks who are like, no, let's let's just keep doing what we're doing. We're going to be fine. Absolutely. But when they start messing around with bond ratings and stuff like that, does that make it an easier sell? to people who might be skeptical about plans and stuff like that for the future. Sure. We could sell these solutions just based on their economic impact. And, and one of the, the things Lindsay was mentioning with the bond ratings, Moody's bought a controlling stake in a company called 427, which is one of the larger climate analytics firms in the country. And that sends up a red flag to any municipal elected officials, knowing that your bond rating, your ability to borrow money, um, and your insurance rates are going to be directly linked to how resilient you are to periods of extreme weather. If you, you look at Houston, they've had 200-year <laughs> floods in the last yeah. three yeah. years. And depending on how quickly you can get back up and in, in operating and generating revenue in that metropolitan area, um, you know, companies like Moody's are, are realizing that that is a huge challenge. At our, at our summit, um, we had a broad spectrum of, of speakers, um, not the least of which was a, a brigadier general talking about how the Department of Defense has been planning for a changing climate for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't have any debate about whether it was real or where the mm-hmm. science was coming from. They understood the, the, the necessity to make themselves climate resilient. And if there's anybody that, that I want to follow when when mm-hmm. the problems arise, the, the Department of Defense is one of those. Is this a scenario or a, uh, a subject matter that uh, we're always going to be learning about, do you think? Like, oh, never thought of that. Look at that. I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, that's... That's the way it is with science and the environment. And, you know, right now we're we're living in this closed system and there's changes happening that we've never seen in our atmosphere. Um, And so I think as policymakers, as scientists, as leaders, we have to be paying attention to what's happening in our environment Mm -hmm. so that we're making changes and can adapt. I think it's um, the mitigation aspect of things is something that I mentioned to you on the telephone earlier in the week fascinates me. How, How do we adapt? Um, whether it be here in Kansas City, other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Do you think our challenges here are any worse, any better than other parts of the wor- of the country at least? Uh, I think our, our challenges are significant. I don't think that they're unique. Mm-hmm. I think that mm-hmm. there's things that we can learn from other parts of the country. Obviously, there are places in the world that are seeing much more dramatic impacts right now. Uh, and there are literal refugees based upon a changing climate. You look at different island nations that have 
now sunk into the sea. And you look at the algae blooms uh, on the coasts of Florida that's having a huge impact on their economy. So our challenges may not be identical to others, but, uh, you know, the Ogallala Aquifer out west in Mm -hmm. Kansas is drying up. And we're not the only place that is seeing drought challenges. So there's things that we can learn in places uh, from which we can uh, take solutions and adapt them or collaborate with. And I think it's uh, incumbent upon us to do so. So uh, what now happens uh, in the immediate future for Climate Action KC? Where where are you going? You're, You're formulating a plan essentially. So do we have time frames or anything yeah. along those lines? So we, we do. We have a time frame on our climate action plan. Um, and there are, you know, detailed steps working out uh, throughout the remainder of the year and into 2020. Um, Mike, do you want to talk a little bit about those steps? Absolutely. So right now we're conducting that emissions inventory with the partnership of our utilities. And one thing I might note is that you, know, you think about utilities and they're selling us electricity. You think there might be some kind of competition there. No, we are really fortunate in Kansas City that our utilities are a big partner here. In Evergy, for example, already uh, produces more than a third of its energy based on renewable sources. Um, And when you include nuclear, over half of it is carbon-free, every light that we have on right here in the studio. And that is continuing to grow based on the economic opportunities that that exist. So they see the benefit uh, in working together with us. So between them and BPU, Independence Power and Light, Spire, um, we have partnership with the utilities. They they care about Kansas City, too, because, you know, they're Kansas Cityans. And so working with them to get data together, by the end of the year, we should have a good idea of what our emissions levels are. And so we can do a business-as-usual case of changing nothing else. Here's where Kansas City is going to be going forward in the next 5, 10 to 50 years. At the same time, um, we're going through that risk and vulnerability assessment, looking at urban heat islands or looking at flooding and, and what have you. So then early next year, we'll be putting those together and also looking at what solutions exist there. There's a couple of big ones that easily come to mind. Building energy, uh, the energy sources that we use for our, our power, uh, as well as transportation are the biggest three in terms of what our emissions levels are. So obviously, all of those three uh, will have solutions uh, that we can utilize to try to reduce our emissions levels in each one of those categories. We'll come up with different solutions and we will do a quantitative analysis using the help of, of our partners at the Global Compact as well as a, an engineer that they've hired to work with us called Burrow Happold who has done climate planning throughout the world and we're very lucky to have them be a partner in this to then really understand how, when these solutions come to scale, how they will impact uh, our emissions levels. So then we will set out uh, a game plan and a roadmap. And so we hope to publish that roadmap in the summer of next year to then take it to our various municipalities, take it to our corporate partners, get that buy-in together, uh, and then officially launch in September of 2020. But that doesn't mean that we can't be doing good things right now within our communities. And one of the things we're excited about in December is we're launching what we call the Climate Action Playbook. We've worked uh, with partners 
uh, throughout the metro area to come up with a hundred different things that communities can be doing right now, whether that just be promoting good policy or incentivizing it uh, with community funds or actually writing policy. Um, and we're going to produce those to all the elected officials in the metropolitan area so that w when they're motivated, they can take steps expeditiously. They don't have to create the kind of like low-hanging fruit Absolutely. type Absolutely. And right? there's, there's quite a few of those that um, cities will be able to do right. right away. And so that'll be something happening in December. Um, and then probably the third big thing happening in the next year is we are planning for a summit 2020. Um, it was it, it was a really positive, um, exciting event this year with the 750 people who joined us. I think people left with strategies, felt left with a sense of empowerment. Um, and so we're really excited to build upon that momentum for summit 2020 and, and continue from there. Did you Oh, all I was going to say is, in the meantime, one of the things, our, our keynote speaker at this last uh, summit was Paul Hawkins. And he was the, the lead researcher on that project drawdown um, where they rank um, different solutions and really show that bringing 80 existing technologies to scale, that you could not just slow the amount of increase uh, in carbon in the atmosphere, but actually get to the point where it starts reducing. You actually draw the carbon back down into the soil where it belongs. Um, and what he said was, you know, you can rank these, and it's important to do so mm -hmm. and to have a game plan. But for each individual, work where you're passionate, mm -hmm. whether that's food, whether that's native planting, whether that's working in bike lanes like Bike Walk KC. W work where you're passionate. Interesting. So uh, we've been talking to the folks from Climate Action KC about uh, their goals, their, their developing plans, and what they're hoping to achieve over the next couple of years, 10 years, 20 years. Pie in the sky type stuff here. Pie in the sky question. 50 years from now, where do you hope we are? As a city, as a community, um, as a region. Um, I hope we are emissions neutral in 50 years. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible. Mm -hmm. I think utilizing uh, the God-given wind and space that we have for solar, that we should be able to get there relatively soon. Plus, Kansas City has uh, a great amount of uh, designers and placemakers. We have amazing architects and engineers. Uh, we design stadiums and living spaces throughout the world. I mean, shouldn't we be creating the model of the climate-resilient metro area for the world as well? Mm -hmm. Lindsay? I mean, when you say 50 years, that's really motivating for me just because as my day job as a classroom teacher, right. that's what I think about all the time. I think Your about, kids are going to be dealing with I this think about head on. My students, I think yeah. about my own children. And so I want 15 years from now, I want us to look back and see, you know, we faced this challenge of a changing climate. We faced it head on. We transformed it into a great opportunity for our region. We've got jobs that we didn't even anticipate before. We've got equitable communities. We've got people thriving, and I think we absolutely can transform it. I just think we're at a place in history where we've got a choice to make. What are we going to do? What are we going to do with this problem? Um, and I am. I feel really grateful that um, we've got hundreds of people here that are ready to face that head on and turn it into a positive direction. I think sometimes uh, as a um, people, 
we have a tendency to underestimate ourselves, mm -hmm. underestimate what we can do, and underestimate how smart we are. Yeah. And technology, I mean, it just it's unbelievable how mm -hmm. things change. And that probably down the road, there's technical ways, smart technology ways to help out the cause quite a bit, at least to me. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a combination of those natural mm -hmm. solutions like planting trees and native grasses yeah. and also, you know, the data that Mike mentioned that NOAA and NASA are giving us to help us figure out how to solve these problems. And Kansas City is a great place for that to start. We're Silicon Prairie here. Yeah. You know, we have that startup village. We have innovation and entrepreneurship, uh, you know, coming out of our hats here in Kansas City. I know that there's going to be an innovation district that focuses on construction and engineering, all with a sustainability focus. We are a crossroads of agriculture and of building design and of really innovation. So I think Kansas City is a at a place of a unique opportunity to have those solutions come right here out of Kansas City. I think this is a huge opportunity for mm -hmm. us. All right, so let's wrap this up. And um, if people are more interested in learning more about what the coalition does, the organization does, uh, where should they go? What resources do they have to, to look more about this? Well, you can uh, go to our website, that is climateactionkc.com. You can also talk to your local elected mm -hmm. officials and ask them to join the effort so that they can be uh, on the cutting edge of what's going on and what's available and have them participate in the climate action planning. So as politicians, does that work? Does when your citizens talk to you enough, Yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it absolutely does work. It's incredibly motivating. And, you know, one of the reasons that many of us decided to take up action is at a local level, um, you know, Mike being a mayor, myself being a city council person, is you are interacting with your neighbors face to face and you get to hear what they're concerned about. And at least for me and Shawnee, I had many neighbors, many residents talking to me about this issue. And that was one of the one of the things that motivated me. Mm -hmm. So I really do encourage um everyone who's interested, reach out to your state representative, reach out to your mayor, your city council person, ask what they're doing. And if they're not sure, reference the climate action playbook that's being launched in December. Um, that's not just a resource for elected officials. It's a resource for all of us so that we're informed when we go talk with our elected official um, and ca can help them figure out um, what might be done. Yeah, like Lindsay said, that's a real pro tip. You don't understand the impact that you have on your local mm -hmm. elected officials. I don't think a lot of people do. No, <laughs> no. I mean, a lot of People can complain on social media right. or on Nextdoor, and you think, okay, well, that's cathartic. Get it out there. <laughs> Just open up your browser and type an email to your elected officials. You won't believe the impact that you can have when they hear directly from constituents. And be respectful. Oh, <laughs> and, well, be respectful. Absolutely. Be thoughtful. Sure, honey is better than vinegar. <laughs> absolutely. Of course. Uh, absolutely. And think about what you're writing because if you go – to an extreme, whatever extreme you want to go to, that, that tends to be noise. Because I get that here at the station sometimes. Mm. If you have a well-thought-out process, mm -hmm. it's more likely that you go, oh, interesting thought. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Okay, so climateactionkc.com. Com. Com. 
All right, uh, Mike, Lindsay, thank you so much for dropping on by. Uh, we've been talking about climate and mitigation and ways of down the road improving what we have here in Kansas City to make Kansas City a much more livable city. Not that it's not livable now. It's great now. But we want to make it better, and we want to make sure it's here. 50 or 100 years from now. Thank you so much for listening to this particular podcast. Uh, Joe's Weather World wrapping up. We'll have another one coming your way as we're going to dive more into our changing climate, I think, on our next podcast. Uh, So listen for that and check that out coming up in the next few weeks.